Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That being said, <clears throat> we'll get started here in three, two, one. It's the radio guy, Mike Prince. Welcome to another episode of the Mike Prince Show. We are on the Brazos Valley Schools Credit Union Hotline, and we're reaching out to Ohio, and we're going to Lord's University and we are going to have a very unique, interesting, and exciting conversation, and we're talking about the sport of men's volleyball. And here to take us on that journey for today will be none other than the head volleyball coach of the Lord's Grey Wolves, Mr. Greg Seitz. How are you doing, sir, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Doing well. All right. Well, a lot of people, they're going like men's volleyball. Yes, I know deep down in the South, we only think of women's volleyball, but Northeast and especially on the East Coast and even on the West Coast, men's volleyball is a very, very competitive and hot sport. And uh, we just want to introduce our listeners to the world of men's volleyball, and I guess we can start by uh, explaining your journey on how you ended up at Lawrence University, sir. Well, I, I actually, one of the hot spots for men's volleyball that you mentioned is where I grew up. I grew up out in Southern California, so men's volleyball is just another sport that you play out there. You, you start with football or basketball, and then you transition to either volleyball or baseball or track or maybe both or, or all of the above. Uh, play on the beach, play indoors, and so I, uh, I grew up with that, played college volleyball, and then after graduation, while looking for jobs, uh, looked into graduate assistantships, which took me away from California and brought me to Ohio the first time, uh, and then bounced around coaching volleyball, collegiate volleyball for the women's side for several years. And when I came to Lourdes, uh, it was to start up women's volleyball, and during my first year of recruitment, I made a proposal for men's volleyball because I thought it fit uh, kind of our growth model that existed uh, to get some students here that wouldn't have chosen Lords and for any other reason. Uh, so they approved it and said, go ahead and coach that. <laughs> and so I took on that responsibility 10 years ago of, of adding men's volleyball to uh, my resume and uh, had coached boys volleyball back home and hadn't been in the men's game or the boys game for, for years because I was exclusively a women's coach. But um, yeah, uh, once I started at Lords for the women's side of things, it was just a year later that we started men's volleyball. So the women will be playing their 11th season and the men will be playing their 10th season this current academic year. Very good. And might I add, you've been successful on both sides of the court, man. You've been doing some things. I've done a little research on you guys. And you had a pretty strong campaign for 2019. Yeah, we, we've done all right. We've got a, a couple banners in the gym held for uh, men's and women's volleyball both. And um, we're always, our goal is to put up more banners. We like, like to make this place look nice with new, uh, new dates and new banners up on the walls. So 
um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a nice nice situation to be in. It's a great school, uh, great environment. We're we're in a, a good community that's near a lot of stuff, so it's easy to recruit to, and it's just getting the word out that uh, it, it's an opportunity to compete uh, in a sport that most of these players love. So and and want to go to school and compete and continue competing. Yes, sir. We're talking right now with Mr. Greg Seitz, head volleyball coach of Lloyd's University. We should say men and women's division. And the way you're able to pull that off is because one is in the fall, which is traditionally related to women's volleyball, and the men are in the spring. And do you think that's part of the design because it was very rare that you could find exclusively men and women's coach and they had to carry two hats? Uh, that well, I guess we'll find out this year because both competitive seasons are going to be in the spring of 21. So we'll find out if it's humanly possible to uh, to produce results there. Um, but traditionally, yeah, the women play in the fall semester and the men play in the spring. So we're off-season training one semester, in-season training uh, with the other team in the same semester. So and then just flip-flop roles the following semester. So it's just. It's year-round. It's crazy, but uh, not many people are, are crazy enough to take on both. And, um, yeah, we've been fortunate enough to have success with both, so it's really hard to say uh, which one would I pick if I had to choose one because, again, we've, we've done well with both teams, so uh, I don't have a favorite or I don't have an easiest to perform. So it's one of those. I, I love coaching volleyball, so, I mean, I guess there's worse things to do in life than, than something you love, but... <laughs> it makes it difficult with time. Yes, sir. Well, just say you just rather coach Lawrence University. That way you can cover both of them at the same yep, time. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> now, when, when we talk about uh, volleyball, and a lot of people don't realize, volleyball matches used to last forever because you could only get a point off of your serve, and they changed that to kind of uh, make the games move a little bit better, which I think has been a very well-received rule adaption. And what are the differences, if any, between women's competition and men's competition? Really, the, the, there's a couple significant differences. It's the ball. <laughs> the ball is different. Uh, it's usually a nylon-wound ball. So the, there's a rubber outer or a leather outer with nylon wound around a rubber bladder. So it, a little bit more of a springy feel to a men's ball than a women's ball. Women's ball kind of, uh, I guess, the shock absorption is a little softer feel. Um, aside from that, it's the height of the net is different by about eight inches. The men play it roughly. Uh, we usually round it up to an eight-foot net, even though it's seven feet, 11 inches, and, gosh, five-sixteenths or something like that. Um, wow. And the women play on a seven-foot and one-quarter inch uh, net so seven foot four and one quarter inch excuse me so it's a roughly eight inches between the two so about the size of a ball so if you set a ball on top of a women's net the men have to hit over that or block over that uh, and that's really the only difference but I mean the the three meter line or the ten foot line as it's referred to in America is is the same for both um, it's just where they attack from traditionally is a little closer to the net from the back row and a little higher above the net in the front row. Okay, very good. So then that would probably cross out my next question about is there any way to cross-train with both having men and women's volleyball, but 
with the difference of the nets and the ball, that would almost be somewhat of a challenge, huh? Yeah, we do a little bit of maybe our serve-receive training or, or components of the game, skill-specific training where we can do at the same time. But traditionally, we would use the ball of the gender. Um, so if, if men and women are both practicing together, it's tough because it's whoever's in season is the ball we would use. Um, so right now, they're both off-season training, so they can have some crossover. But it's just so difficult to have uh, the different heights of net and attacking can be good for the women to hit on a, a men's net to help them in their reach and their vertical jump training and stuff like that. But if a male player plays on a women's net, it actually hurts their technique because then they tend to bring the ball down lower because they can hit it. So it's, it's not often done, uh, especially when we're getting into a competitive sense. Right, right. Now, there is a, a difference in the power shots in this game too because I just imagine just the anatomy of a man uh, kill shots would be actually kill shots especially with the type of ball that it happens so those those dig drills are very vital on both sports but I can see that being a, a bit more crucial from the men's side of things yeah it's it's interesting it's, it's kind of the geometry of the game is the difference in genders so the men are more of a vertical game so both the jump and then the attack is usually more of a downward motion. Uh, the women tend to hit more of the, a deeper portion of the court, and therefore those that can hit more of a downward motion tend to get more kills. So, um, yeah, that's really the difference. Defense is tough for the men's side, it, except the block is significantly larger. Um, so it, it maybe creates more of a hindrance when you're attacking. Um, so it causes them to have to choose different spots. But... Uh, traditionally, uh, I guess our best attackers have range to be able to hit some angles that um, I, it, really it's relative. Uh, it, how high are you over your net? So we've had some women that jump pretty high for the women's game. Uh, we've had some men that jump pretty high for the men's game and, and vice versa. We've had some low jumpers that do well on the men's side and some low jumpers that do well on the women's side. So really, I mean, I wouldn't generalize it, but I'd say – Traditionally, when you look at the highest level, now if you watch the women's game, maybe the Big Ten or the SEC, you'll see um, a very uh, male-like system where a lot of back row attacking, um, the speed of the sets and the, the tempos and the, the patterns of attack approaches and things like that, where they're going to be very similar to the high-level men's because a lot of the highest-level uh, women's coaches right now are former men's players that are kind of teaching that side of the game, and it's extremely successful. Okay. Once again, we're speaking right now with Greg Seitz, Lodge University, Gray Wolves, men and women's volleyball coach, successful on both sides of the court. And when, when you look at this, and it's all about being at the right place at the right time, and we know height is a, a big factor on both the men and the women's side. Just on average, what is your typical height for your male's team compared to that of your women's team? Well, our attackers traditionally are, I'd say the minimum of our attackers are six feet tall. Um, we've had some players, well, have some players that are at six foot eight, six foot nine. Um, our defensive players could be anywhere from five foot seven all the way up to 
six foot five as a defender. Um, whereas the women's side, our taller players get up to six three, six four maybe, and those are kind of our extremes, but could be as uh, small as a five foot two player uh, for a defensive player. Traditionally, yes. for us, we if we're going to have a smaller player, they're going to be extremely athletic. So maybe a five foot six girl that can jump really well could play for us in the front row. And on the men's side, we've had six footers that jump really well and, and have all the other skills that make it a necessity to have them on the court and not a liability of their size. So it really depends on the individual athlete as well. Well, I can imagine the tug of war if you've got a six, eight, six, five, especially someone on the back side of the court, that the basketball player is probably trying to negotiate where you can split time for those particular players. <laughs> I tell you what, our sport's way more exciting. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. A, it's, a, a volleyball is a very exhilarating game, and especially when it's played properly and the volleys and the defensive schemes that go with it and everything that, that makes it. Now, one thing you can help me out with, Coach, is this. I understand the position numbers and where they go, but can you for the life of me explain the rotations and we know the defensive specialist, and there's a difference from what I've gathered between a defensive specialist and a libero, even though I call them the same. But, <laughs> I mean, there's a difference when it comes to the rotation. Could you explain that, please? Yes, sir, yes. Volleyball 101. First off, the difference in terms, defensive specialist is just someone who tends to play defense. What they did about, gosh, now it's been about 20 years uh, that this position has been in play is the libero is your free entry defensive specialist. So if a soccer player can only enter the field and, and leave the field once, volleyball in some instances is like that, which actually at the highest level of men's volleyball, you're a single entry substitution. So the libero allowed the highest level of volleyball to always have your best defensive player on the court. So you didn't have to worry about substituting them off the court. The goal was trying to make the rallies potentially last a little bit longer, make it a little more crowd-pleasing, um, put into play that defensive play that, that kind of doesn't exist often. Now, has it perfected that and, and made men's volleyball like women's volleyball with long rallies? Not necessarily, but it has definitely um, created a position for some guys that maybe would have been phased out because of the evolution of sport and the growth of the guys that are playing in the front row, where at the international level, you've got seven-footer, seven-foot-two guys that are playing in the front row. Makes it tough for a six-footer to crack in there. So oh, no doubt. That libero position has definitely helped there. Now, as far as rotations are concerned, really what you think about is service order. If you put a, kind of a pie chart uh, on a piece of paper in front of you and divide it into six spaces. That's the six players that are actively on the court. Uh, the person that stands in kind of the looking at the net, the right back position, that's usually your first, that's your first server. The uh -huh. next server, it's kind of a, a clockwise order if you're looking at the net. So your next server would be right in front of the, the previous, and then it rotates around those six positions. So you're okay. just rotating around different servers so that all six positions would have an opportunity to serve after, so they just go back and forth. Now it's, it's back and forth with points scored, whereas in the past, like you mentioned, 
I had to possess the serve to be able to score a point. And that changed also about 20 years ago. They switched to the rally scoring game, which is a more fan-friendly, hey, what just happened? Well, a point was scored, so I know they scored the point. It still leaves a little gray area on the why did they score a point because a lot of people remember the ball hitting the net on a serve. Oh, it should be the other team's serve, but now if it goes over, it could be a point for the team that just served it. So that rule changed as well about the same time to try to free up the game and make it a little more, uh, a little less error, but uh, I don't know that it perfected that. It's still a high error game um, because the team that makes more errors usually loses. Right, and it's, it's, it just adds to the human element of the game. Now, one rule that I really think that sucks, Coach, and um, they call it uh, net interference when it's not net interference. If your foot crosses underneath that line, they kind of have a tendency to blow the whistle on you, man. And I think that's a little ticky-tacky. So, and that's interesting you bring that up because at every level of volleyball, which is kind of the screwy thing, there's not a whole lot of differences in a lot of the sports on their rule books. But for us, there's different rule books for different genders. There's different rule books for high school versus college versus professional versus international. So that rule is really down at the lower levels. It's more of a safety rule. And as you go up, it's, it becomes purely a safety rule. And so if no one's around you, they don't blow the whistle. If someone's Again, up to interpretation of the official, though, if someone's around them, according to the official, they may blow the whistle and say that's a safety hazard. They've crossed the line into the opponent's court. Um, but on the men's side, we're allowed to pursue to the opponent's outer playing surface. Like if we don't go within the boundaries, you can run past the pole, play a ball back outside the court on the outside the antenna back to our side and then attack it back across the net. So I mean, and but then the women aren't allowed to do the pursuit rules. So it, 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 that rule changes back and forth with interpretation almost as often as the sun rises. <laughs> We're speaking right now with Greg Sykes, head volleyball coach at Lords University. The Great Wolves um, had success on both sides of the court. Now, when you have these two different programs, and there are different elements of the height of the net, the size of the ball. You have to have, I know you've got to have an extra gym somewhere when you're trying to get these guys their, uh, their workouts in, huh? Oh, man, it's tough. That's the toughest thing with volleyball is sharing time with basketball because you know basketball, they love to shoot. Anytime there's an open, if there's a light on, I'm going to go shoot some hoops. So um, it's finding time because we can't just grab a ball and go play. We've got to set up our net. And make sure you've – it's really tough to, to, to do more than just serve in volleyball by yourself. So you've got to have at least one other person, maybe even multiple people. If we're going to play a game, you can play one-on-one, -on -one, but it's a very modified game. If you play two-on-two, -two, you're getting a little bit closer. And, and obviously our indoor game would be six-on-six, -six, so that requires a lot more uh, kind of coordination to just get in there for a quick game. So – yeah, getting the, the time on the court is usually the issue, and also that, that becomes an issue when you coach both genders is finding ability to train both teams and have enough time with each team and, and work around everything that way. Right, right. So said to whom much is given, much is required. So you've got to have a good balancing act to make sure that both of them get their adequate times in. Now, when we talk about men's volleyball, it is not – as widespread, but it is spreading. 
do you happen to know, I don't expect you to know on all divisions, but on the NAIA division, how many men programs there actually are? We are actually this current year over 50 uh, NAIA men's volleyball programs. Last year was going to be our second uh, national championship. Uh, so this year will end up, because it was canceled last year, so this year will end up being our second national championship as opposed to before we had 50, we were an invitational as opposed to a championship. So that's how it works for the NAIA. Division one and Division two for NCAA are actually combined for their championship, and I believe they're at somewhere in the between 35 to 45 number, maybe even a little less than that. Division three has their own national championship, and they're well over 60 programs that offer Division three NCAA men's volleyball. Um, and then if you go junior college, you really only see men's volleyball at the junior college level in California. So they have exclusively their own league, uh, their own tournaments out there, and I believe they're at somewhere just under 20 programs out west. Um, so really combined, we're not even to the same number as Division One women's volleyball for NCAA or mm, roughly maybe close to Division Two uh, NCAA women's volleyball because even for NAIA on the women's side, I believe we're at 230 or so. Um, so, yeah, all, all said and told, men's volleyball isn't quite there, but it is the number one fastest growing sport in youth sports. So we're growing, and we're hoping that it'll continue that growth pattern. Well, that was my next question. Um, do you see this thing beginning to spread across the rest of the nation, and why has it taken so long? Well, it's, it's usually financially based um, and opportunity based. The smaller sports tend to get looked away unless they can bring in a lot of money. Um, so when, when football and basketball aren't doing well, they're not going to put more money in. Um, when a lot of the Division I programs are having to cut their men's sports to balance things or to balance budgets, they're not looking necessarily at adding uh, a men's sport that's going to bring in another – 20 to 30 guys uh, and throw balance back in the wrong direction. Um, but there's some positive growth on the Division I side. There's actually uh, an organization uh, that, that exists. The First Point Volleyball Association is uh, raising funds to spread the awareness and actually the opportunity for men's and boys' volleyball in the States. And they have raised enough funds to sponsor six HBCU programs starting, I believe it's either this year or next year. Um, so the South will get to know men's volleyball soon here. And I'm hoping that someday the SEC decides to add men's volleyball because of the resources that they have, because um, that would really help the sport. No doubt about it. Now, when you mentioned the six HBCU programs, do you happen to know which ones they were? Uh, you know what? Let me do a little bit of homework here real quick, uh, and I can probably pull that up. Okay. Because it, it was relatively recent. Um, I know. Gosh. Give me a second, and I will... Uh, no problem. 
the the beauty Actually, of editing. We could edit that out. It seemed like you answered right away. Let's see. <laughs> We've got. Fort Valley State University. And actually, one, one note that we can edit maybe. My last name is Wrights with an R, not an S. What the, okay, I said, what did I say, Wrights? You said Sites. I'm sorry, I thought I said Wrights. I'm, I'm sorry. No worries. Clever okay. editing, it's amazing. No worries. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, let's see. I believe, uh, they don't have it listed the way, but I believe... Central State University in Wilberforce, Ohio. Fort Valley State University in Fort Valley, Georgia, I know for sure. Um, Kentucky State University in Frankfort, Kentucky. Um, Morehouse College in Atlanta. Payne College in Augusta, Georgia. Um, do, 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 do. How many was that? I'm not. That's five. That's five. Uh, wait, here's the story. Breaking news. This will list them all right here. Maybe. Okay, here we go. It is Kentucky State, Central State. Oh, man, they're not making this easy on me in their article. <laughs> Let me do the SIAC. All right, I probably should have had all this stuff up. Being is that's kind of the point of uh, getting the word out there. Okay, it here's the teams that they've got. Oh, it might actually be more. Savannah State, Albany State, Fort Valley State, Morehouse, Benedict, Clark in Atlanta, Miles, goodness, Tuskegee, Kentucky State, Lane and Central State. Looks like so, they all played... Oh, timeout. That's, they have the football stand. Never mind. <laughs> That's the football standings <laughs> under men's volleyball. That's always great to see. Okay. That's the problem with uh, the growth of men's volleyball. It's not the easiest to find. Um, gosh, I'll have to see if I can track... I know at least... Well, that was five of them. Let's see. This isn't going to tell me what schools these are. and all six of the school's presidents and athletic directors. Yeah, Frankfort, Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky State was the first name, and it, they have grants that they gave to these schools to help in the addition of, so to help fund scholarship as well, to help fund some of the capital expenses of adding men's volleyball, which would be the balls. And really, that's the only difference. All the poles and nets all, all exist for the women's programs already. So um, that's the beauty of this system and, and the beauty of the sport where it, in order to start a program, 
you have to find a minimum of, I don't know, probably seven, eight guys and grab a, a, a cart full of balls. And then if they have shoes on and, and you can get some jerseys and stuff like that and uniforms, but basic uniforms, you can play volleyball. Wow. So there's low overhead and a possible great return, not as far as revenue, but the pure excitement, student growth, and that's the total engagement of the sport. Well, the difference for men's volleyball, it tends to be an enrollment-driven athletic uh, program so that if we, if we can get 20 guys, that's 20 guys that wouldn't have been at that school without it is kind of the, the push for most programs. Um, some of the Division I programs may have as many as 40 to 45 guys involved with the program. Now, they won't be practicing, competing on a daily basis, but they'll be there because of being recruited to be a part of that program someday. So if you think of a school that maybe needs an extra 100 guys of enrollment, well, this could be 20 to 30 guys, and you're giving them something to do. And along with that comes the excitement of another collegiate activity on campus and home events and, and another team to support. Uh, and the expense usually is relatively minimal. I mean, you, you, you look at a travel budget and you look at uh, uniforms and things like that, and that's about all you're talking about for, okay. for men's volleyball. It's, it's really no different than women's volleyball. Okay. Uh, so, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, yeah, no worries. When, when you look at the bottom line, uh, if you were to start a men's volleyball program from scratch, what do you think with the bare necessities would a budget be to have a, a competitive program? You know, I would think uh, usually like our budgets are done, operating budgets are separate from scholarship budgets and are separate from kind of the coaches' salary budgets and things like that. Um, I know I'm reading this article, and, and the, the six colleges receive $150,000 from First Point Volleyball Foundation and USA Volleyball over a three-year period. So they're getting $50,000 per year for the first three years of the program's existence. If you added on, I, you might not even add on much because this growth, their built-in six teams gets them an automatic conference structure. So like for us, Six teams is the minimum to have a conference, and if you play everyone in your conference twice, a home and away match, that's 10 matches, and for us, we have a requirement of 12 matches to be able to qualify for the national tournament. Well, if you play a conference tournament, you're going to play that. So you could qualify by just playing your local schools. Now, traditionally, men's volleyball has to travel a little further in order to get some matches in. But the minimum, the bare minimum, would be your conference schedule. So if you happen to be in a geographic region where you're relatively close, you could actually save a little bit of money. Or if you, you go into an existing conference with a limited travel schedule, then, then you could probably do your resources a little bit less than, than others might. But anywhere between probably 50 to 70, I mean, I would guess the high side, they're, they're spending upwards of $90,000. Um, because they're traveling more often and maybe staying maybe a little nicer place or traveling in a little nicer manner um, would be really the distinction between programs at that point. Now, the Division Ones are probably spending a little more than that. So the, the institutions here, I would imagine, are kicking in a, a good portion to, to help supplement that 50000 that they're getting from the organization. But 
that's going to go a long way because you figure volleyballs cost about $35, maybe $40 a piece. You get about 20 of them, maybe 30 of them, and you've got yourself a practice scope, a practice kind of barrage of balls. Um, it's a little bit more than basketball because they tend to spray all over the place, but they're cheaper usually than basketballs or footballs, so you can tend to have a, a few more of them lying around. But, okay. yeah, that's really, that's really it. Okay, and what is the average lifespan of a volleyball? Because I'm assuming that you have a bit of a different ball that you practice with than that of game time, or that, does it really matter? So we tend to add uh, maybe about five game balls per year, and we pull those game balls from the previous year and throw them into our practice bucket. But we've got some balls that we've had since, gosh, I'm trying to think of some of the dates on ours. We might even have a 2014 ball in our cart still um, that if they pop, we'll, we'll get rid of them. But if they don't pop, <laughs> we'll use them. Um, they're full of air. If they can hold air, we'll, we'll keep knocking them around the gym. So um, the women's, like I mentioned, the women's ball now is a leather ball traditionally. So some people would get a synthetic of some sort in order to save a few dollars, but the game, the game ball would be a leather ball. That's usually the, the sanctioned ball. The men's side, it's, it's kind of a rubber textured ball um, that they last, they've lasted, geez, like I said, six, seven years, and we've got them still competing at a decent level. Now you put four or five balls into your game-only rotation, and they stay pretty fresh, and those balls become really nice, shiny balls for practice the following year. Okay, okay, very good. And I've noticed, uh, depends on where you're playing, that the balls have different colors. Is there any significant reasoning behind that? Uh, so what you see more often than not if you watch television is Division One. They do not have a ball contract per conference or per team. So that would be like if you watch University of Texas, they'll have a University of Texas ball. If you watch Kentucky, they'll have a Kentucky ball. Florida will have a Florida ball, and et cetera, et cetera. So when they get to the national tournament, it will be a specific ball. And that's where I tend to argue, well, why wouldn't you want to train with that and compete with that all the time? But others argue the other way. Maybe it's financial considerations because if I play with – this ball, they pay us to play with it. So on the Division One level, you can get away with things like that. Um, for us, we practice and compete with the same ball. It just happens to be a different ball for the men versus the women. Okay, okay. Once again, we're talking with Greg Wright. <laughs> I said that right. I, I just had to make sure I was saying that. Of Lawrence University, the Gray Wolves, getting a volleyball one-on-one -on -one education from both the women and the men's side. Now, we've broken down the balls. We've broken down the budgets. Uh, the com com competition level, as you say, is a little bit more scarce on the men's side because it is experiencing a new growth right now. If you were to look into your crystal ball, how many programs could you see being added on the men's division within the next five years or so? Uh, that's a really tough question because it depends on where our finances go from here. What, what happens to the budgets of all the programs? Are all the universities sustainable because they're not adding sport? Unless they need to add sport to sustain themselves, um, then we could be a great model or a team that would be added uh, because of the relatively low expense. 
and relatively low insurance rating. We're not a highly uh, high contact sport, so the insurance is, is comparable to the women's volleyball game, um, things like that, because uh, something with helmets and contact, you tend to pay a little more in your insurance premium. So if a school's really hurting, um, this is a sport that doesn't possess those ex exceptional expenses. But I mean, if the smaller conferences tend to grab onto it, if some of the regions that don't offer it right now say, oh, wow, this is a, a good opportunity to pull some guys. I mean, it, to me, it makes sense. It's kind of like baseball. You can go outside and play volleyball to train on the beach or in the sand. Um, and then you can just go indoors and, and play the similar type game. It's not too far off, but we use the sand to train. So when you're southern states, you, you have nicer weather more often. So why not make it a, a sport that the guys are playing as well? The biggest thing comes down to gym time and, and just exposure to the sport. And once you see it, think of it this way when you're selling it to a new population, ESPN shows basketball highlights of either the three-point shot or the alley-oop. Men's volleyball, the alley-oop is a common play. So right, every time right. we attack the ball, it, it's more or less an alley-oop, except instead of catching it and throwing it in a hoop, you're smacking it at someone else across the net from you. And the great reflection of the dig is the most beautiful thing in sport, man. I just love Oh, yeah, when a dig. rally continues, it's incredible. Yes, yes. And it's so I'm, I'm – I'm, as I'm thinking about this, you scratch your head. You're like, I wonder why this is not investigated a little further along the road. I know one of the conferences on the FCS level that relates to the uh, conference that we normally are connected through, the Southwest Athletic Conference, the Southland Conference has just added beach volleyball to their repertoire, and I'm going to be interested to see how that develops. Yeah, now beach volleyball has grown, but again, exclusively for the women, and it's helped to balance out. Really, the toughest thing with all the Title IX negotiations and numbers is football skews everything. So if, you, if football's tied in there, there's not a whole lot of smaller roster men's sports being added because that roster is so large that you simply don't have an equivalent on the women's side to balance those numbers. So when you're spending per athlete, there's nothing to balance out what you spend for the football program on the women's side. So okay. when, when that's in consideration, it's real tough to add a men's volleyball program. If you don't have football or if you have a million other offerings of volleyball, sometimes with the addition of women's beach volleyball, they almost get skewed to the other side and they have to look at men's sports to add. So that's when men's volleyball really hopefully should be at the forefront of their minds because the relatively low expense but high return on investment because of enrollment dollars. Again, scholarships aren't huge. They're, you're not giving out full scholarships. You're not giving out 15 or shoot like football 85 plus. I mean, so the investment isn't as great as a lot of programs that are out there. So it's reasonable, I would think, but uh, I'm a little biased. <laughs> I, could, I could imagine that, sir, and I don't, I don't blame you for that at all. <laughs> not at all. Now, I'm thinking this could actually be introduced as a club sport and kind of develop and morph itself to a uh, divisional sport, depending on the level that you're on. 
and like you say, low overhead, and that way you can kind of um, kind of play in the water a little bit without being over over overwhelmed with the budgets that's allowed. Well, that's definitely true, but the the unfortunate thing for men's volleyball is it has existed at the club level for years and probably to its fault it's been too successful for schools at the club level so even less investment of finances in the club level because usually no coaching absolutely no financial support by the university it's all student driven um, and they've still usually pull players to do extremely well so like a university texas has had a club program for years, Texas Tech as well, and Texas A&M, and several of the schools down in the southern regions, um, I believe Florida and Florida State, and several of the schools down in Florida have had club programs, but then the schools look at it and say, well, why do we need to make it a varsity program? We have a club program, and then they're doing really well. They get to compete. They're not complaining. So that's been kind of maybe a negative for a varsity program ever being added because club is is fun and you don't have all the rules and all the strength training that you have usually with the intercollegiates so a lot of the people that are involved are just enjoying the sport at the core and so if there's no kind of rock in the boat to say we really want it to be varsity then then an administration doesn't really need to add the varsity so that's kind of deterred the growth of the varsity side of men's volleyball i would believe um, is the success of club volleyball but then there's club volleyball for women as well and a lot of the bigger schools have both varsity and club programs and field teams in both of them so yes sir yes sir and my only response to, my only response to that coach would be this if they can find a way to support esports <laughs> they can find a way to support men's volleyball and i'm gonna end it well, on that I, note i would i would hope to be true i would hope to be true <laughs> 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 We've been uh, in, enjoying the conversation with Greg White, head volleyball coach of the Lawrence University Great Wolves. And, Coach, uh, we definitely have to stay in contact, in communication, because you're going to be having to juggle both men and women's come the spring. And are they going to schedule these as double headers? How would they do that, or haven't they got that far with the scheduling? Uh, I think our first draft is in our committee and being kind of looked over and discussed, but it looks like the majority of our matches in conference play will be doubleheaders, um, so similar to the basketball model, which is great for basketball because they have a men's coach and a women's coach, but it's going to make for some long days for the volleyball <laughs> staff, <laughs> the coaches, both of those, as well as the volleyball student-athletes who have to be there for either team uh because of travel and things like that so we'll see i mean we'll make it work nothing's normal right now so hopefully we can uh make some uh, abnormal situations seem normal at least for the semester give our athletes the best and and hopefully we can get the best out of them and and just see what happens and and god willing we we get back to uh, a fall and a spring next year that looks more like what we're used to well all i can say coach is a good problem to have and don't take too many Red Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, we have a custom here at the Open Mic Broadcast Network where we allow our guests to have some closing thoughts and comments, and the floor is now yours, sir. 
Well, I tell you what, I just appreciate the opportunity to share kind of the sport of volleyball, both men's and women's, but with some of the, the rules and things, but especially for the men's side with, with some folks down there, hopefully that maybe you're reaching across internationally. We have some international players. The men's game is highly international um, because they play it all over the place. Now, it was created in the United States, but thanks to our military, they took it all over the world, and, and a lot of the other countries have, have created professional leagues and so uh, there's quite a few organizations that are trying to get those professional leagues growing in our own country, the, the home country of the sport. So we're hopeful. Maybe we can get some NBA subsidies or something like that or, or uh, major league subsidies, NHL subsidies for men's volleyball because on the Olympic side, we've had some really good success for the men's volleyball. We've got several gold medals on the U.S. side. So um, it'd be great to see uh, that sport be represented in the collegiate level more consistently, but uh, all in all, I just appreciate the opportunity to talk about the sport. I love the game, and it's it's great to talk to people who uh, appreciate it and and want to learn more. Well, sir, we thank you for your availability, the information, and the passion, as well as the energy that was presented on today's show. He is Greg Wrights, head volleyball coach on the men and the women's side for Lord's University Great Wolves. And coach, you got to give me one of them wolf howls, man. You got to give me a wolf howl. <laughs> How? There you go. There you go. I am the radio guy, Dr. Mike Prince. The time has come where I must exit stage left. But we want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode today by way of the Brazos Valley Schools Credit Union Hotline. But until the next time, you guys be blessed, and we'll see you on the other side. That was excellent, coach. Outstanding. I appreciate it, Mike. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to keep in contact. We've got a, a, a 24-hour message line that you can call and leave score updates, highlight okay. the players, both men and women's side, and give us what's going on, man, uh, in the world of volleyball. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll actually maybe share. Do you have an email as well, or is it just yes, a phone Yes, line? yes. Uh, okay. I, I got an email. Are you ready to receive it now? I want me to text it to you. Um, you can text it to me, and then I'll just add it into my contact with you, and I'll yes, share sir. that with our sports information director so that when he sends yes. out our results, he can just fire it away to you as well. Absolutely, and if you got any of your coaches in your conference that would want to share too, we, we're more than okay. happy. Okay, okay. cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll share that with the other coaches in the conference as well as across the country. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, Coach, thank you so much, man. Good luck, and let's stay in contact, okay? I appreciate it, sir. All right. Have a great day. Take care. Okay. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.